It's all about people. Good product people would create good product cultures that would create good, you know, flywheels of product value creation. My personal definition of the chief product officer, we are the ultimate accountable person for creating value through our product. everyone, welcome. I'm Mariana Almeida and this is the McKinsey Talks directly from the McKinsey Studio in Sao Paulo. This is our new global product leadership series. We'll talk to some of the world's most influential chief product officers about the challenges and joys of their role and go deeper into what makes a successful product-led organization, their role, their relationship with peers, the board, how to explore talent, the operating model and much more. Product-led and customer-centric organizations are the winners of hyper-growth. They are a new breed of organization that puts product at the center of everything they do. The CPO or the VP of product are in the center of it all. The series will be led by Fabricio Dori, a partner at McKinsey and product design and customer experience leader in Latin America. Welcome, Fabricio. Thank you, Mariana. Thank you. Um, I'm excited to be here and, and to be discussing this topic. Um, as you were saying, the, the topic of, of being a product-led organization, a customer-centric organization, um, is a topic that is increasingly more important for companies. Um, even this, this terminology, right, you know, being a product-led or being customer-centric and, and, and that being a, a, a driver for growth, um, it's, been, uh, it's been growing in, in importance. And, um, and I think it's also because it's a topic that um, it's being uh, pushed by digital native companies, startups, but it's also, um, you know, it's important for, for everyone out there, right, that needs to grow fast, needs to be more customer-centric. And actually, the, the, um, it's been interesting to see what's been happening in the last few years. Uh, a lot of companies now are, are very agile, um, but they, uh, agile almost like paved the way uh, for them to be more customer-centric, right? And then it's almost like going to the next wave of that and the next wave of growth. Um, so yeah, super excited to be here and discuss this topic. And for today's conversation, we are connected with Renata Lawrence, VP of Product at Vitex. Hello, Renata. It's a pleasure to have you here as well. Hello, everyone. So it's my pleasure to be here. Uh, thanks for organizing this for the community. It's, you know, it's an essence role. So happy to share my experiences here with you. Thank you very much and welcome. So I'll, I'll actually start our conversation, Hanata, with a, with a question um, to, to, to get to know you from a different perspective. Like, what is, what is your favorite product and why? Sure. So I am a super fan of the Uber case. And let me explain why. So I think I am like delighted of how they reinvented, you know, business model, taking into account like heavy tech and design and real estate, you know, real assets. And they reinvented like a new economic operating model and they combined all this to create value. They put it into scale and they created one of the biggest, you know, business ever. So for me, Product is about, you know, creating value for people, creating value for business and making it work for everyone and scaling this into a big company. So for me, that's uh, uh, like a very nice success case. You know, Uber had like a bumpy road in their, in their, in their beginnings, but still like for me, it's a, it's a delightful case of how they put everything together to create value at scale. No, I think this, this is a great example because I think it's, um, it's sometimes an example that we, I think we tend to forget at this point, right? Because it became so, um, you know, ubiquitous. It's so out there. 
Um, and, uh, and, and sometimes we take for granted the, the magic that happens, right? <laughs> Behind that product. How magic was it? To summon a car from your phone back, you know, in 2013, I don't remember when they started, but it was magic at the moment. And now it became like, you know, mainstream, which is great because they just enter into our lives and we, we forget about things. That, that's also a sign of a great product as well. Like we, we don't even remember, you know, they're working. For exactly. It's the magic, right? It gives you superpowers for you to do something that you, you couldn't do otherwise. And I think it will be interesting to get to know you better because I think Obviously, now you're, you've been through and we're interested to hear from your career, the, the place you've been to, but also uh, prior to being the, one of the most important product leaders in the country, what did you do before? Like, what, what's your story before becoming a product leader? So I like to say that I'm engineering by like heart and background. And I started my career, you know, at the Boston Consulting Group. We're like same breed here. And then I pursued my MBA at the Harvard Business School. And then I came back and moved to Groupon, which was at the moment the fastest growing company ever. And it was the start of the marketplaces, you know, the online tech business, you know, that 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 wave was starting, especially in Brazil, was the very beginning of, of tech companies. And from there, so I spent two years there, and then I moved into the into Viva Real, which was a, a property portal. You know, it was a small company with 80 people and 300, 3 million reais in revenues every year. And we built that company to become a 300 million reais in year revenue every year. And we grew for, to like, you know, 1,200 people. And that in seven years. We sold the business to Alex in 2020. And they integrated each other, like their horizontal marketplaces. They, they, you know, they integrated these vertical marketplaces to create like a new offering. And, but throughout the years in growing this company from like 80 people to 1,200, I led like multiple teams. I almost led like all teams in the company. So I led marketing and I led sales and I led HR and I led operations and I led um, planning, like all the planning, you know, I led when we merged into, we merged with Ahel with the Zap, which was the incumbent at the, in the industry to create Grupo Zap. And then I, I, I led the PMI. So I was kind of like a COO, COO. I was a COO and I was leading each like different teams in different, in different moments of the company. And over the, my last, you know, my last passage was with product. And the occasion that made me become product, I think, is interesting because we were starting the merge between Zap and Vivahel to create the group Zap company, not this new company. And we were designing what was the future of this combined company. And really, there was the future. There was a product-led challenge. It was the future of the company would be what the future of the combined products would be. And so I was leading PMI and then I partnered with the product team to craft this plan to understand, you know, what the combined product would look like. And then I never left. So I'm, I'm like with product team since then. That's super interesting. You mentioned something that stuck with me, which is um, you've, you've led different types of teams, right? Of different, um, different disciplines, right? Within the company. Um, how do you think that changed you as a product leader right now? Do you think that influenced or didn't influence? Yeah, it does. It helps me a lot on managing the C-suite a lot because I can relate to the challenges and to like the mindsets and to, you know, the models operandi of each craft, of each discipline, because they, they are different crafts. They have different value propositions. They are the different operating models. 
And I think product is, after the CEO, the product is, is a very central role in terms of it touches a lot of teams and whatever we do in product, we need to like take it to market and we, we touch, you know, many different areas of the company. So being able to breach all teams and all disciplines and all, you know, challenges they have into our product plans helps me create stronger product plans, like have, have helping create stronger um, many propositions. So I was like at CX at some point in my career. So I get, you know, I get the pressure that CX get. I get contact rates. I get that we need to have an answer for every case. So I kind of get all those disciplines and I, I learn to anticipate their needs into the plans I create. So, and I bridge them. I think for me, the main asset is to bridge and create collaboration and create one vision so we can all work aligned into one direction because companies, sometimes it's hard to align. Like one of the hardest things we have in, in managing companies is like making everyone, you know, go to one direction. And that's kind of like a power that I have created with understanding our different teams. No, I, I love that because it's something that I see that's very central to being a product leader, right? Which is aligning the company in a direction. And, and positioning that, and that's why it makes it such a strategic role, right, for, for companies these days. And I want to explore something around that, because I think there's two angles to it. And I think it was not clear, like, 10 years ago, like, what it meant to lead product, what were the capabilities, the skills, and all that. And at the same time, it feels like it's still in early days. Um, and I think the, <laughs> there's an interesting point, which is, you mentioned the, the role of the CEO, the relationship with the CEO. Do you think CEOs know, like most CEOs know that they need a product leader or they know what is a CPO? Well, I think it depends on, it depends on the story and the history and, you know, the founding story of the company. Like companies that are super strong in operations and they tend to, that, you know, a lot of space, a lot of airtime is being taken by operations and short-term needs and, you know, operating metrics and short-term revenues and that, that, that's, that that occupies a lot of space in a company. And then it gets, sometimes it gets harder to create space for a chief product officer because it's like a new role and new, you know, a new role, new people, new style, new conflicts. And then how about we just go back to the old one because, you know, life is hard for, for every company. Just like, that's always true. So if the story of the foundation of the company doesn't include the product as a central part of it, then that space is filled by other teams. And we need companies need a very strong, compelling reason why they will go through the hurdle of creating a chief product officer, create a product team, and to nurture that team until it actually generates value because it's not going to generate value in the first year and the first team you put in there. So for me, it's, Depending on the company, I, I think this to your question, the CEO doesn't get it because it's ingrained in other ways of solving, you know, that problem. And, you know, sometimes you see companies where success is, you know, the stakeholder asks for something and that's being put into production. And that's good. That's the definition of success. And that's fair. And on more product led companies, you're going to see definitions of success being more tied to metrics, you know, to what was, you know, what, what's the KPI, what's actual impact in the business. So, but it's a change. It's a mindset change. And I, I'm, I'm not sure all, all CEOs get it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, um, I think it would be great to get your perspective on the, like, what it means to be a product leader. Like, what, what it encompasses. Like, what is, what is in the role, right? How do you become one? <laughs> Good. Yeah. So, I think chief of product is, you know, it's a new role. So, it's poorly defined. And I used to be a CEO, which is a poorly defined role as well. So I kind of like create my own definitions of, of things. 
And my, my personal definition of the chief product officer, we are the ultimate accountable person for creating value through our product, right? Are we creating value? That's the ultimate accountability we have. But how do we get there? You know, because there's usually a team to manage and there's stakeholders to manage us. <clears throat> we live in a complex system that if it's not well orchestrated, if it's not well managed, we can have the best, you know, phases for best product phases, but we can't execute them. So my role is vision and execution, right? So what's the product vision? You know, how does it compare? Where's our market going? You know, what are our customers saying? What's our experience? And you know, industry trends and company strategy. That's things that enter as input. So we create, you know, a product strategy that is based on the company strategy. That's usually like a, a consequence of like a second order. We have company strategy and we have product strategy, right? right after and then so so that's our product strategy right and then i have to execute this in a more like in the general context of the company so i have product processes you know so we have roadmaps and we have okrs and we have you know customer research and we have all kind of processes to organize and then we have two two ways that we need to organize here we need to organize internally because when you have a team of like 20 product metrics or product 20 product managers, it's easier to organize them in a more like organic way. When you have a hundred, then it's hard. Then you need to have processes to make everyone have like common rituals and common language and common ways to collaborate. Otherwise we lose too much energy on trying to collaborate instead of like, if you streamline it, collaboration gets easy and we can, you know, get into the execution mode faster. So that's that's for inside the team. And then we have to align the rest of the company because product is so central. I can't have like a walled garden where I have everything working like inside the product team and we don't touch, you know, the real world. So that sometimes happens. So how do I align with sales? How do I align with growth, with marketing? How we make the product plan, the company plan, and then everyone's plan. So that's that, that's the challenge of executing it. And then there's a the third challenge when I think of things that I take care of, which is the product people. You know, it's a nascent role. There's a lot of competition in the market for product people. And how do I engage? How do I hire? How do I relate to them? How do I make it work for them? So they, you know, stay with us and they fulfill their expectations. They fulfill our expectations and we can craft value out of it. Because sometimes we can have a good product culture, but you can't really sustain the product people because the rest of the company isn't working on the same mindset or we get engagement issues and then we lose the team you know the output is going to be defined by the bandwidth of good people that i have stacked on my products so those are the three pillars i i take care of so it's product vision product processes and product people them combined and orchestrated and working well will help me to become the ultimate accountable for you know the value we're generating through our product yeah and I, I want to pick up on some points that you mentioned um, in, in your answer. What is a, a product-led organization, right? What is a, a company that's, that has product at the center and it's so customer-centric? And you mentioned these points of the, the vision, execution, and the, and the talents, right? And I think starting with the vision, um, how do you communicate the vision of the product? Like, is there a particular way of doing that that you've seen that worked? Because it's so hard, right? There's so many people involved. Companies are growing fast. Communication is a huge issue when we're growing. So I've been through many like growing companies. And we see that the first thing that, you know, 
don't work, it's like communication. We can't have everyone on the same page. And for me, communication is, there's two things here. There's the quality of the communication, there's the frequency and the channels that we deliver that communication. The second one is the kind of the easiest part. We're going to be very frequent in like evangelizing what are the vision, what are the principles, why we're doing this, and keeping it short and keeping it strong so we can get that message through. Because sometimes what I see is like product visions get too complicated and then it's hard to articulate and hard to make it go through the limited channels and the limited span of attention that we have with our teams. So keeping it short and keeping it simple will allow us for understanding, which will allow us for execution, right? So that's, that's the second part of that. So the first part, you know, what's a product vision? I like to take it into principles. What are the value principles that we're generating? So we have at Vitex, we have like five principles. That those are the five value drivers that we're taking care of. How exactly we're going to deliver on that on that um, value drivers? They will change over time, and that's going to be reflected in the roadmaps. And then we're going to have you know heavier routines and heavier sinks to understand what it means in the roadmap. But I can always go back and relate to one of the main product principles, which are stable and are more permanent throughout the organization. So for me, that's the way we structure in here, and, and I think it works well because we can keep coherence while we keep on changing, you know, what exactly is going to be done and what's the roadmap for the quarter and what's been delivered, what hasn't, you know, how things are going to move forward. Because at the end of the day, with the product vision, sometimes we're bridging to different levels here. So I have a product vision that's going to take care of like strategy and where the company is going, new markets, and it's very high level. And we have, you know, growth teams many times receiving a lot of feedback from customers of very specific things that operate on a different level. And I got to make bridge for them, you know, help them understand, you know, is this under product strategy, yes or no? The easy answer is go back to, you know, go back to the principles and it's going to guide you through whether it's, you know, have a hint of where it's going to be included or not. And with a specific timing, then it's a different question, whether when we're going to do it, that's in the road. But whether, why it makes, it doesn't make sense, yes or no, with the product strategy, then it's easier with when you have those product principles. And, and I want to touch on the execution as well, because execution for me also um, makes me think about team setups, right? And organization setups for to make things work. Have you seen uh, particular uh, patterns or learnings, right, in in the execution of it? In, in what makes great execution? Yeah, I think we can go to org design. So it's culture and art design, right? We touched on culture. I think we may touch on art design here. Usually execution, at the end of the day, execution is done a lot by the engineering teams. Now that's where execution flows. And so I put product usually tied to, to engineering teams. So they, they tend to mimic the tech architecture that we have because someone needs to be closer to the tech teams, you know, organizing and creating visions and creating roadmaps and working with them to guide, you know, what the execution will, will look like. However, there's a lot of business complexity and the business many times doesn't reflect, you know, our business challenges doesn't reflect, don't reflect the tech architecture that we have. So someone got a bridge that space between, you know, the, the operational problems and, you know, sales growth problems and you no know, customer service problems. So that space is breached by the product teams. You know, they, they, they breach that complexity. 
when that thing, when that bridge is done well, you know, we can work as one team. So it starts and grows. It ends on engineering one, you know, way of working and works well. What doesn't work well when that space isn't bridged, then you kind of have two worlds. Like we have like what they call the, the business world, you know, the people that take care of business and, you know, the tech team. And then it's, it, we're one company, so we're not coordinating well. And agendas get split and then business, you know, we're all business. So one you know, team calls itself business team, like, um, like it's a sign. And when business team, you know, they still, we don't get anything from tech. And then tech says we don't, business team doesn't understand us. And that's, for me, that's, that's the biggest challenge and the biggest issue and the, business, the biggest pitfall I have seen in companies when they can bridge this and then we can execute as a company. So to my first point, you know, being able to bridge those teams all the time, like putting them together all the time and understanding the tensions and taking tensions out when they're easy to manage and not when they're like deeply ingrained in the relationships. You know, that's, that, that's a role that we have as product, like, you know, being like glue that makes everything work seamlessly as, as one team. And, and the third point is talent, right? What do you look for uh, when you're looking for product talent? Is there a particular characteristic? Is there something that really calls your attention when you're like interviewing a product manager or someone to be part of the team? Yes. So I usually run like very structured processes for like many years. Like we interview for like, you know, product skills, you know, tell us about you know, the product cases that we have. So we look at you no know, product sense, look at the failures, how they fail, because like product fails a lot. So we need to fail well, you know, how they influence people and, you know, if they have a sense of what value is, you know, are they optimizing for value? So that's like the, the bread and butter of hiring for a product. You can create like a ladder and create an interview process based on this. But I think over the years, the thing that I added, like, as you know, my special sauce on hiring is that I also look for something that I think is very important is looking for emotional intelligence and cognitive ability, because they're going to be predictors of long-term success. You know, we can hire, usually when we hire, we have a very specific context, you know, it's very well defined. And then we, have, we look for those abilities and we put that person into the job. And six months into it, it changes. Something changes. You know, the role changes. Management changes. You know, priorities changes. And tech, high growth tech companies, they can be like hugely chaotic sometimes. And sometimes people, it's hard. You got to make your role. You got to you got to understand the context and create value. Craft your own value. Sometimes you got to craft your own product as yourself as a professional and deliver into it. And I see. Emotional, you know, emotional intelligence is a very important factor because it's hard to navigate, and you gotta keep your calm and you know keep your sense and so stay stay centered for you know sometimes ambiguous and incoherent you know actions or directions that we have in, in the company. And cognitive ability is what will help you help you like can people take on the next challenge? Can people understand the next problem? You know, the next market trend, the next problem, the next so. That, that creates, you know, when you have some product experience, you know, good emotional stability and emotional intelligence and good cognitive ability, that's, that creates for stability, that, that sustains the stability of the product team. And I, when I think about, you know, team performance, stability is one of the key, like, leading indicators. Can I provide stability to the team? Is, it, is those team, those people in the team, 
staying it long enough so they can become a team and they can actually, you know, understand the problem and generate value and and nurture that value they created. If we don't have stability, then it's hard. And that's another pitfall that companies have on executing on a product because teams get too unstable and they're always on learning curves and they're always onboarding and then changes and a new person comes and then you don't have stability and then you don't have execution at the end. This is very interesting, but how, how to identify these characteristics in a process when you're hiring someone? Well, you look at previous experience. I, I am a super fan of like competence interviewing. Like, tell me a case. Like, tell me one was what, what was hard in your last company. What were the things that make you lose energy? What are the things that puts energy on you? And tell me the cases. Now, tell me the specific examples. I'm always looking for specific examples when I'm interviewing people because you know you can you can trust way more. You know the past behavior than what people will tell you as their desired behavior. So I always I am always looking for you know past sense you know past emotions, past understandings, past behaviors that people had. And my my whole interview process is like tell me cases, you know, tell me case around this, tell me case around that, tell me case around, you know, and you know, as you as you make the questions, usually you you, you pick an experience where people will show you whether you know they they thrive on on chaotic environments and they make their own way or like they don't like they, they blame the context or they you know they don't they don't put responsibility on themselves they put responsibility in the company so that's the way i i, I plan to manage on an emotional intelligence for cognitive ability it's you know tell me tell me the things that you learned from life so are, are you a learner and what kind of learnings did you have you know so, so what different kinds of experience you had in your life and how much can i see you learning into different contexts and giving me cases that are sophisticated enough so i can see that you learned on that on that new context so that's the way i do well, i think this is this is fascinating because um it's it goes way beyond uh, like technical abilities to lead product, right? Because in the end of the day, uh, it's so multidisciplinary, right? You have designers, you have developers, you have data scientists, and the product person is very much in the center of this and connecting different disciplines. Um, so I, I can see why it's necessary to have the emotional intelligence, but also it changes all the time, right? So you, you actually need to be a fast learner. I just want to pick on something because um, your career going through different digital, very hyper growth companies, right? What did these companies from your perspective, and you were a consultant before, so you saw different types of organizations as well. Um, what do you think make them different? What is different from a company that's doing, like as, as you're saying in your story, like, Viva Real, Zap, OLX, um, Groupon, which grew like incredibly fast. What makes these companies different from, in quotes, like traditional companies? Yeah, so they all started on their, my experience has been around companies that has built their business, that have built their business model in, based on the, the competitive advantages that tech brings us. So when that's true, then the engineering team or the tech team becomes an asset for the business model. We need, you know, the business needs to grow through them. That's a strong force in creating this like new breed of companies because the tech team 
becomes, you know, the center of value creation. And we then value gets, you know, spread in, in, in like greater circles. Everyone's part and everyone's responsible for the final result. But it's, you know, the center, the beginning of the value creation becomes, it starts usually in the tech team. And that's for me, it's a fundamental asset in creating, you know, those different companies, those companies that, that think differently because, you know, tech has a voice and tech needs to be taken care of care you know be, we need to care for the team with you know the best energy that we have because they're actually the center of the value creation so it's different from when you know i was you know back in 2000 and i'm going to give my age here but back in 2006 when i was you know a consultant and we were working in you know, heavy industry you know iron ore and that was different the tech team was not the core you know the the iron was the core was the support you know, the, area the manufacturer was the core. Yeah. So where is the core of the business model? Who is the core of the value creation? That says a lot about the culture. And that's and it's fair. It's like there is no right over the years. It's like there's no right or wrong in terms of culture. It's just what is the culture that serves best your business model and will serve best your business outcome and your business success and, you know, your success as a business. So, because if you get a company that is way, you know, value creation is way ingrained in manufacturing, maybe the new culture is not suitable for that business. And it's fair, you know, it's, it's whatever works for the business. I think the, what's happening uh, and what, what we see and what I see in the market is um, that a lot more companies need to be like that because it's not enough, right? Even in mining, right? I think the, the example of, of mining is interesting. Like even in mining, the mining product, obviously, you know, ore, iron, whatever, it's very important, but you need so much technology, right? To be able to make that happen in an effective way, more efficient way. The product or the customer centricity there is internal, like creating tools for them to work better than maybe having an internal product team that leads that and, and, and delivers great experiences, great software, that kind of stuff. Um, but, but I agree with you. It depends a lot, right, in, in, in the sector. It depends on what you're trying to achieve, right, as an organization. It depends on what's the value creation of tech. Because sometimes you may have old business models and that did not, that they were not born in the tech world, but now they need tech as a channel. Like the sales channels become way more like, we sell online now, we don't sell as much, you know, as we used to sell like offline. So then, then there's a strategic part of their business that becomes really tech heavy and they may lose their business because, you know, they lose the channel. And that becomes a strategic asset. And then it's a force to shift towards a more like product-centric, you know, tech, agile kind of culture. So, Renata, could you tell us a little bit about uh, VTEX as well? And what's the role exactly there? Sure. So, VTEX is the leading enterprise digital commerce platform in Latin America. We are a super relevant player in terms of GMV, with almost $10 billion in GMV in 2021. And our core value proposition is that we put experience in service of our clients so they can help, you know, they can focus on innovating and growing their product lines where they can trust VTAX for their commerce platform. And my role here, I'm currently leading the product team. So I have product designers and product managers and specialists that stay with us in, in the product team. And I'm working closely with like the executive team and the co-founders, you know, the and co-CEOs of the company to build 
what's the future of the product and the future of the business. And the future of the product and the future of the business, they're kind of like the same story, like because the, the business is based on our product. And we had just opened, we had just become public last this year, no, last year, no, last year on New York Stock Exchange. So it's kind of a new era for the business. And here I am to, you know, to build what, you know, the next 10 years will look like. What are the, the, the capabilities of the teams? Just as a curiosity, like you mentioned that there's designers, there's um, product specialists. Like what are the, what is the, the group of capabilities that make product a VTEX? So oh, yeah, we have product managers and then we have product designers that may focus more on customer research or user interface. And then we have a team of documentation and education that helps, you know, bridge the, it's the first go-to-market. This is the first piece of go-to-market. We have our product. Our product is very extensible. So there's a lot of APIs that can be used and the documentation becomes a new front end of that, of that product. So we have a team that, you know, creates and documents, you know, what the product is and makes it available for the developer community. And we have a localization team that helps us, you know, bridge the different challenges of different nationalities. So you have, you know, left to right, left to right, right to left in other cultures and how we adapt the product to Europe and to America and to Middle East. And I also have a prod ops, which is a new, you know, it's a new role in product. So I have a team that helps me with, you know, processes and KPIs and running what is structural in the product team. And, and that's about it. That's in the product. And we have like tech team that the engineering team, it's, it's, they are my peers and we have data scientists and engineers and, you know, uh, infrastructure people in, in that team. Why do you think some companies still don't have a CPO and this team working in this sense? I think they probably that role is being filled by someone. It's being filled by sales. It's being filled by marketing. It's being filled by the CTO. Sometimes the product is inside the engineering team and you have it spread throughout the teams. So I think the product role can be filled by other, other teams. Now, it, the marketing team at some point can feel this. The thing is, they usually come from a perspective of you know, their marketing perspective. And there's a very important perspective, which is the tech perspective. Like everything we deliver, we deliver through tech many times. And when, so for, if for some reason that thing is breached, you know, that, that, you know, that challenge is breached, then, then, okay, then you get the, the job done without a CPO. But you know, more and more, if you put someone that understand marketing and understand CX and understand engineering, you can craft better plans and more robust plans um, with a product team. But I think it goes back to you know how was the company started, what was the mindset at the beginning. For me, when I, people ask me, you know, what do you think it needs to happen for a prod, for a company to become product wide? And for me, the answer is there needs to be a compelling why. Why are you going to go through that hurdle? You know, why are you going to change your culture? The why, it may sound cliche, but the why is very important because it's what sustains you throughout, you know, the energy expenditure and the challenges and the new conflicts that are going to be created as you change, you know, the decision matrix of, of the company. I want to go back to something you mentioned um, on the product ops because product ops is, um, is a very new uh, discipline, right? <laughs> Because especially if you're growing 
if you need, if you're a growing team, like you need to uh, standardize ways of working, platforms, you know, tools, all of that. Um, is that a new team? Was it there because you joined recently? Was it there? Like, what was the thinking of having a product ops team and how they operate? Yeah, that was a very special surprise when I found that we have a great product team. And that was a delightful surprise when I when I found the team. I, I did not create it myself. We we defined with the team, you know, how do we want to operate? But then the change management, defining what's the structure, what's the exact, you know, template, how, when are we going to, let's take OKRs, for example. So how are we going to report OKRs when it's, you know, when report each time and what's the template, how are we going to give end of year review, end of quarter reviews. That's things that, you know, product marketing or product ops, what the, the philosophy we use is we productize, you know, our own processes. So we go in the teams, we understand what's working for them, what are the bright spots, what are the pains, and then we kind of make a proposal and then we keep iterating those proposals to get like established as, as a process. So it gets gets really organic with the product team and the design team of how we work because at the end they kind of facilitated facilitated this collective building of of a process that works for all of us and then they standardize and then you know they keep on the change management or you know the necessary energy for us to feel that process um, on a quarterly basis on a monthly basis on a weekly basis whatever the, the frequency is unfortunately we are reaching the end of our session so we still have time for one more question a lot of questions yeah one more question (laughs) can I have two questions yeah okay (laughs) so I have two questions Um, I had like 10 here to ask but uh, but I'll ask two of them our next podcast (laughs) yeah exactly the uh, there's there's something that I wanted to explore with you before we finish which is um, this this topic of marketplaces and, 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 and marketplace as a product you're probably the person with more uh, product experience in marketplaces in maybe the Americas, where, like you, you, like you, you've been through companies ten years, yeah. Uh, like and and probably the world because you've been through companies that, uh, let's say, iconic marketplaces, right? Um, iFood, Groupon, um, Zap, OLX, and now Vtex, right? Um, and, and I think the question is like. What is the marketplace as a product? And, and, and is there anything that's different of being a product leader, like leading such a complex product? Because it has multiple users. Uh, it also has multiple products within it, right? You mentioned integrations, for example, right? Integrations became such a strong topic. There are startups doing just integration because the integration needs to be so like a smooth experience. Um, what is special, what is different about leading product in, of marketplaces? We have conflicting interests in the marketplace. To start, I have been in online marketplaces. So that, that portion of tech being a central part of value creation was true in all of them. So really an online marketplace is an online business and in our value creation goes a lot through product, not only through tech, there's operations and there's growth, and there's, but a lot of it goes through tech. So we created this new culture and this the product culture from, from the beginning. So that for me, it was easier to manage. I was, I was lucky enough to be like bred as a product leader in companies that had strong product culture. Being a product in a marketplace is bridging many interests, right? Because you have a 
client interest, which is who is buying in the marketplace. Then you have the merchant interest, who is like selling in the marketplace. And if you have a transactional marketplace, you have the sometimes the logistics or, you know, the, the transactional part of it that you have to manage as well. And the interesting part of it is that none of those interests, they align, you know, the, the, the merchants, they want, if, if you take only the merchant's perspective in the marketplace, you're going to go, you're going to have, end up in, you know, what, you know, the Yahoo or Google in the beginning, they, they were flooding you with, you know, ads and the customer experience was poor, but that was good for the merchant. That was what the merchant wants. The merchant wants to exposure whatever, you know, the average, they don't care what's your overall conversion rate. They care about their conversion rates. If their conversion rate is great and the overall conversion rate of the marketplace goes down, that's fine on, on, on the merchant perspective, on the individual merchant perspective. And so you're going to think what's their experience, what's the overall experience of the marketplace for all merchants are. And then you've got to think what's the customer experience at the marketplace is. For them, it's showing them whatever is relevant for their needs at that moment, not what the merchant wants to show. And so that's, so there's a conflict here. We always have like ads and a portion of you know, the marketplaces are dedicated to like paid exposure, but that can only be a portion of the marketplace. Most of it needs to be relevant for what the customer is looking for. And then we have, we could, we could monetize more ads. Maybe we could, but the overall business performance would suffer because the conversion rate will go down and we'll have less orders and, you know, less brand and less, you know, worse cohorts. So for me, the interesting part of marketplace is that because there are so many conf conflicting interests, you need that product person bridging and crafting a plan that is good enough for everyone and without letting anyone really down. So, and, so, so that balance of always taking every interest into account and creating visions and plans and work, you know, products that serve all those interests, they are, that's an interesting challenge for me. So looking back at being a product in the marketplace, there is, you know, we have many customers and you've got to bridge them. Exactly. I think this is a topic for another <laughs> podcast. We can do only on marketplaces. One last question. People that are going to be listening to you and, and listening to your uh, comments on um, like product as being something that's very core, very strategic, uh, the delivery through technology, what, where the value comes from, the, the different types of skills, how you organize. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that um, are, let's say, characteristics of companies that are very digital native, very customer-centric and very product-led. And I think maybe, um, is there any final recommendation? Because you're going to be uh, listened by people that are in companies that are already like that and, and, and people that are in companies that are not, right? They're looking to become more product-led and more oriented towards the customer. Is there any recommendation, final tip into becoming more this type of, of organization, looking for hyper growth? Yeah, I, I think, so my take on, and that's a personal take, and, and I can take it from a career as well. No, tech is going to change the way we do business. You know, tech is going to become more and more and more relevant. We have seen in the last 10 years becoming more relevant, and we only see more ways and new technologies and better, you know, we now have the habit of buying online, of closing transactions online. So that that trend is, on my take, is based on convenience. You know, a very important um, 
factor, value creation of products or convenience? Is it easy? So like, like we said on Uber at the beginning, it's so easy. We, we forgot about it. I'm just like a huge addicted of that product right now. How, how much addiction are you creating because you are so easy to use? And technology is going to play a huge, you know, portion of that value creation and that's going to affect our business. So if any business, you know, if they haven't still find the why, you know, the why is going to show up at some point. And when the why is there, you know, change is going to be needed and and then product is going to become more important. And when that moment comes, my tip is it, it's, you know, it's all about people. You're going to have good product people. Good product people would create good product cultures that would create good, you know, flywheels of product value creation. If we start with people that are strong, that are not strong enough, then you know the first hurdle will not be surpassed probably, and you know we're, you're going to end on the old you know ways of working and doing business. So that's so that's my take for. It. Thank you very much, Renata. Our time is up. So, Fabrício, would you like to add anything else to finish to close the session? Just want to thank you very much for your time. Uh, you've, you've been very generous. Uh, we had multiple conversations uh, prior to this, and, and I think it's, uh, it's fantastic to see, uh, you know, a woman in your place of leadership leading uh, in, a, in a such an important company. And, and I think for those listening, uh, stay tuned. You know, we're going to have um, conversations with other um, CPOs like Hanata. They're very influential and, and changing the way we create customer-centric companies. And that's it. Thank you, Hanata, again. Thank you. Well, thanks again. Thanks for doing this for the communities. So thank you very much, Fabrício and Renata, for being here with us today. I would also like to thank all of you who are watching us on video or listening to us on podcast. If you would like to know more about product leadership or contact one of our experts, please send an email to mckinsey-talks at mckinsey.com. Go to mckinseytalks.com for a full agenda of McKinsey Talks. Here you can also check out this episode and earlier ones on video or podcast. That's it. Thank you very much and see you next time.